You can see the balloons. I think that was our 20th anniversary service. Just telling Pastor, I think just times were simpler just a few months ago before everything was taking place. I don't even think my wife was pregnant at that time. Simpler, simpler times. But uh, we're excited about what, um, what the Lord is doing with us here and that we can be here today. Today I would like if you could turn to a, uh, a passage that's uh, been kind of dealing with the teens over the last little while, so the teens know exactly where we'll be going today, but Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and this is sort of a, this isn't sort of, this is definitely a topic that the Lord has been working on my heart about over the last few months, and something that I think He'll always be working on, and I pray that we can, I could, uh, through the Lord's help, plant that burden within you, that you would also be able to say the same thing by the end of the message this evening. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to just start with reading two verses, and then we'll uh, close, and we'll open in prayer, and we'll get into the message. But Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses uh, 10 and 11. And maybe if you could stand, we can read them together, get a little stretch before a message this evening. But Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 10 and 11 all together. Verse 10, ready and begin. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and the privilege to preach. Preaching your word is something I, I fear that many people take for granted, and I certainly do not intend to do that this evening. So Lord, I ask that you would help me to preach what you would have me to preach, to push aside that which I may want to say, and only say what you would have for me. Help us to learn what we can from your word this evening. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You want to go on the pulpit mic? Is that, will that be easier? Yeah? All right. Bring it up a little bit. I was told bring it down, bring it up. Is that a little better? Is the, can you hear that little ringing noise? All right. Well, if you could just cut me off and put this on if you need to halfway through, then uh, I'll be okay. Philippians chapter 3 is a passage that... It, when looked deep into, it's uh, a lot can be brought out. And I suppose you could say that just about anything in the scriptures. Michael Fred Phelps. Michael Phelps. Sound familiar to anybody? He is an American former competitive swimmer and the most successful and most decorated Olympian of all time, with a total of 28 medals. Phelps also holds the all-time records for Olympic gold medals, for Olympic gold medals in individual events and Olympic medals in individual events with teams. So I guess that would just be team events. Michael Phelps is known for saying things like, if you want to be the best, you have to do the things that other people aren't willing to do. He would also go on to say, I found something I love and I never gave up. I can't remember the last time, the last day I didn't train I want to be able to look back and say that I've done everything I can and I was successful in swimming. I don't want to look back and say I should have done this or I should have done that. 
I'd like to change things for the younger generation of swimmers coming along behind me. Here's a man that gave his all for swimming. Eldrick Taunt Woods, also known as Tiger Woods. I think I would probably go by Tiger as well. He is an American professional golfer. He is tied for first in PGA Tour wins and ranks second in men's major championships and also holds numerous of golf records. Woods is widely regarded as one of the greatest golfers of all times and one of the most, at one point at least, one of the most famous athletes of all times. Tiger Woods can be heard saying many times, I get to play golf for a living. What more can you ask for? Getting paid for doing what you love. I get to play golf for a living. My will can move mountains. So never listen to other people's expectations. You should learn to live your life and live up to your own expectations. And perhaps you can succeed as well as I have in golf. Usain Bolt is a Jamaican sprinter and widely considered to be the greatest sprinter of all time. He is a world record holder in the 100 and 200 meter and the 4x4 meter relay. He can be heard saying many times that dreams Goals have a cost. Did you catch that? Dreams are free, but goals have a cost. While you can daydream for free, goals don't come without a price. Time, effort, sacrifice, sweat. How will you pay for your goals? Easy is not an option. No days off. Never quit. Be fearless. Talents you have naturally, but skill is only developed by hours and hours of hard work. When I was young, I didn't think about anything except sports. I could go on and on and on, athlete after athlete, men and women who have poured their heart and soul into a sport. And many of us enjoy these sports. We enjoy watching these sports. We enjoy the Olympics. I'm one of them. But here's some men, here's some women who are willing to do whatever it takes to pursue their dreams and passions. Question to you. My question is, what are you willing to do for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? The God that created you, forgives you, puts up with your attitude and sin nature. The master that planned your life and carved out a perfect trail for you. The creator that gave you life and wants the best for you. What are you willing to do for him? How many hours are we willing to put into leisure and sports or video games in order to get better? How many church services are we willing to miss for sports, for homework, for, for friends, for personal gains, for vacations, for, for leisure time? How many hours a day are we, willing, are we willing to spend watching a movie or watching TV or sports compared to the time that we spend with God? How much money are we willing to spend on clothes or food or vacations that we enjoy compared to the amounts that we're willing to give for missionaries, for the gospel's sake, for our church? How much time do we spend trying to get people to like us compared to the amount of time trying to get God to be pleased with our life? What are you willing to do for yourself? And what are you willing to do for God? Just a few months ago, the sports 
uh, athletic worlds lost a a champion, as they would call it. They they lost somebody that they upholded, they they loved, they enjoyed, they appreciated, and his name was Kobe Bryant. As many of us know, he died in just a helicopter crash just a few months ago, and there is no doubt in most people's minds that a man like Kobe Bryant is could be considered one of the greatest NBA players of all time. But the reason he is so great is because of his work ethic. And his teammates would call Kobe Bryant's worth ethic, they would call it legendary. Bryant, Kobe Bryant, would show up at 7 a.m. practices. He would show up at 5 a.m. And this is in high school. After high school practices at the age of 17, he would make his teammates stay to play him one-on-one to 100 so that he could get better at his shots. The Lakers head coach, Brian Scott, would find a sweaty 18-year-old rookie, Kobe Bryant, in a darkened gym two hours before practice, doing individual shooting and dribbling. He routinely outworked the NBA's best players, even at the age of 18. During the run-up to the 2008 Olympics, Kobe Bryant was assigned to the Olympic team. Two of his teammates at the Olympics, and the Olympics is usually a time where these guys can kind of relax and, and they still try their best, but during the Olympics, one of his teammates said, we were in Las Vegas, we were training for the Olympics. At eight o'clock in the morning, we all show up for breakfast to kind of com- uh, join, join forces together and talk about the day. But at eight o'clock in the morning, here comes Kobe Bryant with ice around his knees. Everybody asked him, what are you doing? And he said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're eating breakfast. And as they walked in, Kobe Bryant's response, he didn't say good morning, but he said, good afternoon, everybody. Kobe Bryant had woken up at 5 o'clock that morning to train for the Olympics. Just because he was on vacation, just because he was at the Olympics, didn't stop him from his three-hour routine by himself to be the best basketball player that he could possibly be. During his last season, Kobe Bryant made this short animated movie that would eventually bring him an Oscar and an Emmy Award. Perhaps you've seen it. It's this poem he wrote, and he had its designs uh, into like, like a comic uh, cartoon graphic, and it would win these awards. Listen to his poem. From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots, and the great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. A love so deep, I gave you my all. From my mind and my body to my spirit and soul, as a six-year-old boy deeply in love with you, I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court after every loose ball for you. You asked for my hustle, I gave you my heart because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and hurts, not because challenge called me, but because capital U called me. I did everything for you because that's what you do. When somebody makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel, 
You gave me a six-year-old boy his Laker dream, and I always love you for it, but I can't love you obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding, my mind can handle the grind, but my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to go. I want you to know now, so we both can savor every moment we have left together, the good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have, and we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, throwing into the garbage can, with the ball in my hands as the clock counts down, five, four, three, two, one. Love Kobe Bryant to basketball. Kobe Bryant was so good in basketball because he loved basketball. And it, we use that word casually sometimes. Oh yeah, I, I love playing basketball. But he literally gave his life for it. You know, Jim Elliott, a famous missionary, is famous for saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. Kobe Bryant, I know it's only been a few months since he's passed, but in God's eyes, he was a fool because he gave everything he had to something that he couldn't keep. A preacher once said, Henry Varley, he said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated unto him. D.L. Moody, hearing this, replied in his heart, by God's help, I aim to be that man. A man fully consecrated for his service. Now we come to our passage here in Philippians chapter 3, and Paul makes this statement in verse 11. He says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Verse 10, he's saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The apostle Paul was trying to help this church in Philippi understand that, look, I am willing to do whatever it takes that I may know him. Verse 9, and that I may be found in him. And verse 8, that I account all things but loss for the ex excellency of the gospel of Christ. I am willing to do whatever it takes. And he challenges the Philippians by saying, what are you willing to do for Christ? In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, the first two verses, Paul challenges the Philippians to do whatever it takes against false teachers. To do whatever it takes. The first two verses, Paul is challenging the Philippians. He's saying, look, there are people out there who have a form of the gospel, who sound like they know what they're saying, but they don't have the true faith. They will turn you away from him. And if the Apostle Paul was worried about this thousands of years ago, how much worse is it today? There are so many false teachers out there. It's so easy. You have a question in your mind. I wonder what the answer is. Google will have the answer for me. YouTube, I'll find it on YouTube. And you know what? You might find the answer, but the internet is not the place to go to find answers. YouTube is not the place to go. Where do you go to find true answers? You go to the Bible. The Apostle Paul was telling Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that, need, that needeth not to be ashamed. Why? So that you can rightly divide the word of truth. Because there's a lot of not truth. There's a lot of false teachers out there. And Paul is saying, what are you willing to do to make sure you don't fall away from God on accidents? That you don't get swept away from the world? 
He says in verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Here it is. Beware, verse 2, of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. We don't have time to go through every single point here today, but just understand this. Paul is saying there's some dogs out there. There's some evil workers. There's some people out there that mean you harm. And he's challenging the Philippians to study God's word so that when these false accusations when the, against Christ arise, they'll know, <laughs> nope, that doesn't align with the Bible because I study the Bible. I know. How much studying do we do in God's word? Oftentimes we study the Bible so that we feel good about ourselves. Ah, I woke up late or it's the end of the day. I didn't read my Bible. I should probably read a chapter so I could say I read my Bible today. So we read it, you may get something from it perhaps, but why do we study God's word? Do we study to get closer to him, to grow? Do we study so that we can defend our faith? Why do we study God's word? What are we willing to do to fight against that which is evil? It doesn't matter if we're a staff member here today or a full-time Bible college student or graduate. We're a faithful, long-standing member of the church. Maybe we're a junior church worker. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've accomplished even for God. I'm asking you to put everything that you've accomplished away today and ask yourself, what are you willing to do for God? I heard this quote, and I've been bugging the teens with it, so forgive me. If you are interested, you'll do what is convenient. But if you're committed, you'll do whatever it takes. If you're interested in something, you'll do what is convenient. But if you're committed, you'll do whatever it takes. Are you interested in God today? If you're just interested in him, then you're only going to do what's convenient for you. I'm a little sore today. I don't think I can make it to church. It's not convenient. We've got some big plans, vacation set up. Uh, best time to go is the weekends. Let's just uh, let's make it there. Is winning the lost, is soul winning, is that a convenience? Are we just interested in God? If we're committed to something, then we will do whatever it takes. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for Christ today? As we consider verses 3 through 12, we won't read them, but just giving you an outline here today. Verses 3 through 12, Paul then challenges the Philippians to do whatever it takes against the flesh. And you study this for yourself. But boy, these verses right here, verses 3 through 12, he challenges the Philippians to look at their life, look at the flesh. You know what the flesh is, right? When we get saved, the Spirit of God dwells within us. He, 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 he resides within us, and the Spirit gives us, it helps us between right and wrong. We can ask the Lord, say, Lord, is this right or is this wrong? And the Spirit will help us. But with our spirit also comes our flesh that craves evil. It, it, it desires that which our spirit doesn't. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he, uh, in Romans, he talks about that which I would do, I, I do not, because it's the sin that dwelleth within me. There's this war that's always fighting. And when we live our life for the flesh, things happen. You understand, look in verse number seven. The Bible says, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. 
See, when you live your life of the flesh, it produces emptiness. The Apostle Paul, in the verses 3 through 6, he talks about all the things that he accomplished. And now, from a Jewish perspective, this is great. He was a Pharisee. He was circumcised on the right day. He, uh, he had, in uh, verses, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin. Touching the law, he was a Pharisee. He was zealous. He was all these things that you would want to be. But in the end of his life, he realized it's pointless. Living life for myself is empty. When you live your life for the flesh, you find yourself losing meaning and purpose in life. You find yourself feeling down and depressed all the time. You feel spiritually fatigued. You feel useless and wonder, what's the point of it all? King Solomon had the same problem in Ecclesiastes. He says, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived also that this is vexation of spirits. For in much wisdom is much grief. What a statement. In much wisdom is much grief. Solomon lived his life for a portion of his life. He lived it for himself to try to be as smart as he could to gain as much knowledge. And he found so much emptiness at the end of his life. When you live life for yourself, our flesh produces emptiness. In verses 9 and 10, it also produces enmity with God. It produces a, a distancing away from God. It produces something that which draws us further and further away from God. It says in verses 9, that I may know him. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. That was verse 8, I'm sorry, but verse 9, and be found in him. When we live life for ourselves, it produces emptiness. And it produces this enmity, this hostility, this opposition away from God. You ever feel sometimes like God is far away from you? Maybe you're not understanding why. Maybe something bad happened to you and you feel like God isn't there. A lot of times it's because... We're living our life for ourselves, And we're so caught up in our own thoughts, our own ideas. And my, my dreams were ruined now. And I had this in mind and God messed it up. And I wanted to do this and God did this. And we feel like God is abandoning us. But most of the time it's because we're just focusing on ourselves. <laughs> we're, just, we're just consumed with ourselves, And we fail to see the big picture in it all. And Paul is trying to say, Philippians... What are you willing to do to live for God? Are you willing to study against false teachers? Are you willing to fight the flesh? In verses 13 through 16, Paul challenges the Philippians as well to do whatever it takes against past failures. Look in verse 13. The Bible says, Brethren, I count myself, I count not myself to have apprehended, but... This one thing I do. Say that next word with me. Forgetting. Say it again. Forgetting. It's, it's easy to read, but it's not easy to do. How many of us have messed up before? You don't have to raise your hand. It's a rhetorical question. We've all messed up before. How many of us regret something from our past? We all could raise our hand. 
How many of us maybe are regretting something we're living in now? Don't raise your hand, but we've all done something we regret. And sometimes our past stops us from serving God in the, in the present or in the future. Do you think the Apostle Paul had a past he wanted to forget? <laughs> Imagine imprisoning and murdering Christians for a living. Imagine living with that guilt. How could you keep going? I have some things that I wish I hadn't done in the past, but none of them was murdering anybody or, or, or aiding in murder, perhaps. Of course, in his mind, it wasn't really murder. He was doing things for Christ. He was there when Stephen was killed for the faith, for imprisoning people, not just people, but, but followers of Christ. This is the life that Paul had to learn somehow to push through. I mean, to have, to have that, I don't know if Paul had nightmares. Thinking about all the, maybe the screams of the times perhaps when he would take children away from moms and dads, maybe when he helped parents get led over to death. I don't know what kind, all the things that Paul was dealt with. Perhaps God saved him from it before it got too bad, but there's some verses in Acts that basically said when people heard the name Saul, <laughs> they were scared. Breathing out threatenings and slaughterings. This was not a life that you would want to live. And somehow the apostle Paul found a way to forget that which he had done and look forward to serve Christ with his life. Forgetting those things, verse 13, which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How was he able to do that? Well, I can tell you how. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The only way that we can press forward is to somehow get which, what we've done in the past forgiven. And it's one thing to say, God, please forgive me. And that's difficult. But you know what else is tough? Learning to forgive yourself. We beat ourselves up so many times. And to be honest, it, it's, it's natural. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. When you do something wrong, you're angry at yourself. And you should be. But sometimes we stay angry with ourselves, and that anger to ourselves stops us from serving God. Lord, you don't understand what I've done. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what you've done. Lord, you just, you just don't know the things I've done. You don't think I know the things you've done? Do you know who you're, who you're talking to? Lord, you don't, I don't think you know me that well. I can't do that. I, I, don't, I don't know you that well. You mean the, per the person that created you, that created this world, and just a, a thought and just a voice? I want you to do this with your life, and you, you, don't th you think I, I'm wrong? I made the wrong decision? I, I messed up? I got the wrong name on my, my memo pad this morning? No, no, no. I have something special for you. You just need to forgive yourself. I've already forgiven you. You've repented to me, and the sin as far as the east is from the west, it's gone. You just need to get past yourself and serve me. I'm pretty sure Paul had to go through this situation. I don't think it was easy for him. But if the Apostle Paul can come to a point in his life where he can say, look, I can forget those things which are behind and I can press forward for God, Paul is saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even if it means forgetting the stuff that I've done in the past. We have a Savior that forgives and gives us a second chance to keep going for him, and you have that same chance. What are you willing to forget in order to keep serving Christ. Paul challenges the Philippians in verses 17 through 19. He challenges them to do whatever it takes 
against the wrong fellowship. He challenges them, brethren, be ye followers of me together, in verse 17, together of me. Mark them which also, or mark, mark, uh, excuse me, sorry, and mark them which walk so as ye have for us for an example. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he defines some of the people we fellowship with here today. He says, some of you hang out with people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Some of you hang out with people, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. The Apostle Paul is saying, who are you hanging out with? As a teenager, who do you spend time with? As a young adult, who are your friends? As parents, who do you spend time with? Who do you talk with the most? The Apostle Paul lists these four things here that many people, many Christians struggle with. These are the people we hang out with, and we wonder why we struggle with our relationship with God. Because we hang out here with people who are enemies of the cross, people who are unsaved. We spend a lot of time with the world, and we fellowship with them on a constant basis, and that's going to pull you away from God. These people, their end, their end is destruction, verse 19. These people, their God is their belly. They live their life. If it's not for God, then who else is it for? It's for themselves. And yeah, there's, there's some good people out there who do, who do help others, who do serve others. But ultimately, in the end, verse 19, whose glory is in their shame. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, everything in life you're living for will one day be your shame when you stand before God. The unsaved, what do they live their life for? What is there? If God's out of the picture, what is there in life? Money? You can live for friends, for family, for happiness. All those things may sound good, but when you stand before God and say, Lord, I... I had a lot of money and I gave it to my family and friends. My, my, my family had a nice house. Everything I live for, and God will say, shh, everything you live for is shame now. Is now against you because the only thing in life that's worth living for is the one person you didn't live your life for, and that's me. Paul is challenging the Philippians. He's saying, who do you spend your most time with? Be followers of me. He's saying, People, I'm an, I'm an example for you, those which follow Christ. Now, if you think about it, you go to work every day. Most, probably the majority of the people you work with probably are not saved. It's, it's a good guess, except in my, my line of work. Everyone in my, my occupation is saved. But chances are the place you work in, it's probably not the case. If you're in high school or you're, you're, in, college, you're in school, chances are most of your friends probably don't know Christ. Chances are you spend most of your life around unsaved, and there's not really much you could do about that. But who do you spend quality time with? Do you miss church to spend time with the unsaved? What quality time do you spend with God? What are you willing to do? What kind of people do you spend time with? Better question, what kind of friend are you? Are you the kind of friend that sharpens one another? Are you the kind of pet friend? And friend sounds like a word kids use. 
But parents, you have friends too, friends here in this church. Do you sharpen one another? Dads, do you sharpen other dads? Moms, do you sharpen other moms? After you have a conversation, are you both closer to God with it? But because, because they were around you? Do we sharpen one another? What kind of friend are we? Paul was trying to be a friend that sharpens. And he ends this chapter in verses 20 and 21 by challenging them to do whatever it takes to stay focused for Christ. He says in verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now I'm literally just skimming this chapter very quickly. Lots of stuff that could be said. But in summary... Paul is challenging the Philippians to do whatever it takes to fight against false teachers, to do whatever it takes to fight against the flesh, to do whatever it takes to fight against your past failures, to do whatever it takes to fight against the wrong influences, the wrong friends in your life, to do whatever it takes to stay focused for Christ. Tiger Woods, Michael Phelps, Kobe Bryant, these great athletes who have given their all for their sport were willing to do whatever it took for them to be noted as the best. I wonder today, what are you doing today to do your best for God? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to serve him? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to give up something in order to get closer to him? Are you willing to give up maybe some movies, some shows, in order to be closer to him? Are you willing to maybe give up a little bit more sleep in the morning so that we could spend more time with him? Are we willing to make sure that we dedicate certain days of the week to worship God in church by fellowship? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to stay focused on him, if that means getting rid of distractions in our life? Are we willing to cut some people out of our life so that we can be closer to him? Are we willing to read our Bibles more so that we can be better friends to those who are in need? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to, to remove some past fail, failures in our life, to get ourselves right before God, to repent, and to keep moving for him? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Just before I, we came up to preach, I told Pastor White uh, what I was preaching on. And he handed me this story. He said this was the story I was about to read this evening for the opener. But he said this story will fit very perfectly. This is an amazing story of a man named Darren Ray. Darren Ray was born with a, a cleft palate which deformed part of his face. I guess if you have this story, you probably have a picture, don't you? I feel like pastor now. Could you put up that picture for me there? Darren Ray. He was born with a cleft palate which deformed part of his face. He then endured years of surgeries and bullying growing up, and he often wondered why God allowed him to suffer. But Darren was raised in a Bible-believing home, and he was able to endure. When he grew up, Darren got a decent job. He got married. He had, three, he had a three-year-old daughter. And he even became a deacon in his church. And as he worded it, life was good. But one Sunday, 
in 2006 while driving to church with his daughter in the back seat. A drunk driver smashed into Darren, leaving him close to death. Both his legs were crushed, battery acid covering his arms, and bleeding to death. The, paramedic, the paramedics arrived and had to use the jaws of life just to get him out of the car. Fortunately, his daughter came without a scratch, just a small scratch. But Darren did not come out so, so successful. They got him to the hospital where he spent a month and eventually having to amputate his right foot. And then he required years and years of reconstructive surgeries. Darren, as you can imagine, was filled with anger. He already had a hard life growing up. He finally found a wife. He had a kid. He, was, he found a place in life where it seemed like things were going well, and then all to be taken away from him again. He had a lot of time in the hospital to think. One verse in particular he remembers reading, Matthew six twelve. Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And then in verse 14, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, in court, Darren had taken the man to court, of course, the drunk driver. And according to what was read, this man owed over a million dollars in debts, this drunken, uh, the man who, who uh, ran into Darren. Nobody really has that kind of money. And Darren still was struggling with anger towards this man, taking away what little life he felt he had. Darren didn't feel like forgiving the man, but he knew it was what God wanted him to do. So he prayed and said, Lord, I don't want to forgive him, but help me do what I need to do. Help me do what you want. At the court hearing, Darren went before the judge with just one leg. He hobbled up and asked him to forgive the amount of money that the drunken man owed his family. <laughs> the judge looked at him and said, uh, why do you want to forgive this man that debt? And Darren looked at the judge and told him, because I have a savior that forgave me. He paid my debts that I could never repay. The story about Darren here, he doesn't need, doesn't really need any extra commentary. It's pretty self-explanatory. Darren was able to get the victory through faith. Something we heard about this morning in the message. Faith. He was able to get through this trial in his life because of his faith in God. Because he put his faith in God. He didn't feel like it. His flesh was saying not to. But he looked past his failures. He looked past his, his past. And he was willing to say, Lord, I, I want to do whatever it takes to serve you. What does that require? And God said the one thing he didn't want to do. Forgive that man. Do you think he wanted to at first? Of course he didn't. But Darren was willing to do whatever it took to serve God. So I ask you again. What are you willing to do to win Christ? What are you willing to do to be more like him? And if there's something you're not willing to do, 
then that's what tonight is for, is to get that thing settled in your hearts and lives into him.